So we are doing a series over the next three weeks uh, called On Track, Three Big Ideas to Move Forward in Faith and, and really to, to experience life with Jesus. What are, what are three big ideas that we need uh, to move forward in faith? If you're somebody who says, man, I want to grow in my faith. I want to I really experience the life that Jesus says that he brings. Uh, these are three big ideas to help stay on track or to get on track. If you're somebody that really doesn't know much about faith and what it's all about anyway, this, this will help you understand a little bit of really what faith and life with Jesus looks like. So today, we're really talking about the idea of joy and contentment and what it looks like to go through life and experience joy and to experience satisfaction. And, and joy is a powerful thing, right? To have joy, you may have known people in your life, or maybe this is you, or you've seen it, or you've heard about it, but if you have joy... You can go through all sorts of horrible things in life, right? There's people that have gone through really bad stuff in life, but there's something about them where they say, man, I've got joy still. And the circumstances around them may be really rough, but they have joy. And conversely, you may see people that have everything, it seems, together. They've got the right job, and they've got the right uh, spouse, and they've got the right kids, and, they, and everything actually seems to be clicking for them, but they would say, man, I don't have joy. I lack joy. And this is a really powerful idea, and yet an idea that is often kind of hard to get. It's often unstable. You may have joy and had lost it, or you may uh, sort of just even the idea of joy may seem kind of weird or hard for you to grasp. And so even as we talk about this, let me just ask you um, by a show of hands, no, not really, but um, just where are you right now? Like, do you have joy in your life? Would you be able to say, yeah, my life is joyful? And let me ask you this, not just today, but would you say that you are a joyful person? And when you look at the course of your life, that you say, yeah, you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter what happens, whether life is good or bad. I actually have kind of this undercurrent of satisfaction, of deep joy in my life. Would you say that that is true of you? And I think that's important just as we begin to go, where, where am I? Do I have joy today? But even if you do, that's not really enough. Are you somebody that says, yeah, I've got joy no matter what comes. And I look at my, my life and I can look at the past and go, man, I went through some rough things and I had joy. And I know that the rough things that will come, it'll be okay because I do. I've got joy. Joy is a, it's a tricky thing. It's a powerful thing. It's something that we want. And today we're going to just talk about this. How do we get? How do we get an unshakable joy? How do we get an unshakable joy so that no matter what happens, there's still joy? Whether, whether you have successes or whether you have failures, there's still joy. Whether you have suffering or whether you have, man, life is going great, there's still joy. How do we get an unshakable joy? And to understand that, we need to see what it is that steals our joy in the first place. Why it is that joy is so tricky to get. What steals our joy and what kind of joy do we need and how do we keep it? And so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. Paul is writing a letter to the church in the city of Philippi. And here's what he says. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And let me just pause. We'll read the rest of this section. But, but I think even just this beginning is so important because he says, Finally, my brothers, which I love because he's only halfway through the book. He's a typical preacher. He's like, on my last point, and it's going to take him 30 minutes. So I like this. This is encouraging to me. But he says, Finally, my brothers, at the halfway point. Finally, but this is so important. Finally, my brothers. Which is to say, this is kind of the, the main thing I'm trying to get across. This is the, and really the whole book of Philippians is about joy. And he says, this, this is it. This is what I'm after for you. This is what I want for you. Finally, my brothers, is, this is the main goal. This is the main thing. This is what I want you to experience. Rejoice in the Lord. And the whole rest of the section that we'll read is under this category of, he says, I want you to have joy. I want you to have unshakable joy. I want you to have a stable joy. I want you to have a joy that's not a roller coaster, but that keeps you experiencing joy no matter what it is, no matter what day you face, no matter what month you face, no matter what kind of season you're going through, that you can have joy. And he says, finally, my brothers, meaning this is it. This is so important. This is what he wants for us. And then, and then this is important too. He says this, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. 
Again, this can be one of those lines that we sort of just throw away and kind of move on to the good parts that we like to put on t-shirts. But this is really important. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. See, maybe you've grown up in the church and maybe you've been around Christian things and maybe you've been a part of this church even for a long time. Maybe you've heard so much of what the Bible teaches, or, or you've heard about joy even before, and you've heard about contentment even before, and you've heard these things, but do you understand what Paul says? He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. See, here, here is one of the, the key important things to know about the Christian life. You don't need a bunch of new things. You don't need a bunch of new things. See, so often we go through struggles, or when we're lacking joy, we think, I need something new. I need to read a new book, or I need to find a new teacher, or I need to find a new experience, or I need to find a new method, or a new way, or a new insight, or a new, like, I need something new, and, and often this actually leads people to wandering away from the faith altogether, and sometimes not, but just leads them to going, man, okay, I've read the Bible, I've done that, I've gone to church, I've done that, but my joy is still lacking, or my life is still hard, or I'm still struggling, so I need something new, and Paul says, no, 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 no. To write the same things to you, it's no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Which means what we need, what you and I need over and over and over again is actually the same stuff. We need the same stuff over and over and over again, but our hearts have to be open to receive it. You see, what will get you from where you are now, talking about on track, what will get you from where you are now to where God wants you to be and for where even you want to be, what will get you from where you are now to to experiencing deeper joy is not something new. What it is is the same things. The same things. And Paul says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. And so we'll continue on with that uh, preface. And here's what he says. All under, again, the category of he wants joy for us. Okay, He wants joy. He want, this is finally, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And here's what he says. Look out for the dogs. And he's referring to um, a group called the Judaizers, which would have been people that would have said, you need to follow these certain rules and follow these certain rituals. And talking about even circumcision, we're saying, hey, if you really want to be right with Jesus, you actually need to get circumcised. And you need to obey the, the, the Mosaic law. And you need to basically become a Jew again. And, and you need to do these things. And he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we, he's saying, we, Christians, those that are found in Jesus, we are the circumcision. We are God's family. We are the ones that have been united to him, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And the flesh doesn't mean, you know, this stuff on us, but no confidence in the flesh is no confidence in what we do, what we can accomplish. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he's got reason for being able to be confident in what they've done and what they've accomplished and who they are, he says, I've actually got more. And he goes through this long list, his resume, if you will. He says, I, I have more. And he says what has happened to him. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Not the ninth day, not the tenth day, which is, this is how it was supposed to be done. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. So he says, I'm of the right nation. I'm of the right Family, and not just the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, which was one of the only tribes that stayed faithful to God continually. And so he says, Look, I'm of the right people. I'm of the right uh, group. I'm of the right group within the group. A Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning, man, I, I did it all. I, I did, I, I, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, the Pharisees held it strictly. That means all the different things that God said to do, Pharisees did it to a T. Jesus says to them, look, you even tithe out of your mint and cumin, which is amazing, right? Some of you, you, you struggle to give anything. But these guys, they were like, I will, what do I got? Oh, one flower. How do I tithe these petals? You know, I'll give these. And they were, they were I'm going to give every, I, they were trying to be as religious and observe everything to a T. And he says, that was me. I did it all. As to zeal, what about my passion? Did I just do all the things I was supposed to do but kind of go through it begrudgingly? No. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Now, this is before, before he became a Christian. He said, look, I had passion. I saw these people following Jesus, and I had this passion to stay true to what we thought was true such that I was willing to kill those people. That's how passionate I was. 
As to zeal, you question my passion? You think, it's just, you think it was just a morality and me going through the motions? No, man, I was willing to kill. I was willing to die for this. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Try to find fault with me. You won't be able to. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, or actually in the original this means crap, literally, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, we're talking about joy, and Paul begins this passage saying, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on to talk about all these things. You see, what Paul wants for us, what God wants for us, what, what I want for us as a church, and what we need if we want to be on track and move forward in our faith is joy, an unshakable joy. And Paul says, that's what I want. Finally, I want you to experience joy in the Lord. And in this passage, we can see a few things. We can see what it is that steals that joy and the kind of joy we need and how to keep it. And so we begin with this. What is it that steals our joy? Why is it that joy is hard? Maybe you had it and you lost it. Maybe it's, you just can't keep it. It kind of just seems to always slip through your fingers. It's like, man, this week was good, but then next week is bad, and, and it's just kind of fragile. Maybe you have joy, but one thing can happen that, like a balloon, just kind of pops it, and it's gone. You go, man, I thought I had joy, but it's so, it's so hard to keep. It's so fragile. Anything can kind of mess it up. It doesn't endure. It's not stable. It's very shaky. What is it that steals our joy? Why is it that joy is hard? And, and here is, here's life, okay? Life's hard. Life's hard. There's ups and there's downs, but sometimes it seems like there's more downs. Life is hard. It's difficult. Work is hard. Relationships are hard. I know even just talking to some of you today, like work is hard and relationships are hard and health can be hard and family can be hard and loneliness can be hard. And all, I mean, just, just life is hard. And we get angry about life. Some of us get angry, get bitter. Some of us just get worried and anxious about life because it's hard. Some of us uh, just kind of want to escape from life because it's hard. I think the whole reason that Netflix exists is because of this. It's built on escape. And I watch Netflix. I'm not saying that's bad. But I think, man, the fact that we consume so much media and are glued to our phones all the time, I think in part is because life is hard, and we just kind of want to numb. We don't want to think about what's going on around us. We don't want to think about the difficulty and just want to numb. Life is hard, so we get angry, we get bitter, we numb or escape, and we get worried, we get anxious, and often we say, well, here's, here's why my life is hard, or here's why I'm angry, or here's why I'm bitter, or here's why I'm anxious, or here's why I'm down or, or low or or, or just kind of shut, shut things off. Here's why. It's because of this. My job, or this person, or that person, or this situation, or money problems, or health problems. We point out at these external factors. But what Paul says is, look, the thing that will steal your joy is deeper than that. The thing that has the greatest power to steal your joy, the reason that joy is so shaky is deeper than the external situations happening around us. It's deeper than that. And if we miss what he says, we will miss out on experiencing a joy that is stable. See, we think we're fine often. We think we're fine. We think, I love God and I have faith and I, I, you know, I'm a good Christian, maybe even you might think. Man, I'm, I mean, I'm, we think we're good. And then life is hard, and trouble comes in, and we go, whoa, what just happened? Because it begins to reveal what's actually there. And here's what Paul says. Here's what he says is the thief. Here's what he says might steal your joy. Here's what he says is the reason and the problem. He says, I want joy for you, but watch out. Because there's something that might steal it. 
I want joy for you. This is the main goal, the main aim, but watch out because something might steal it. And here's what he says it is. Righteousness. He says, the greatest threat to you experiencing joy is righteousness. The greatest threat to you experiencing a stable joy is righteousness. Maybe not what we would think would be the greatest threat. Isn't the greatest threat to your joy your job because your boss is a jerk? Or isn't it sickness because, man, where did that come from? Or, or isn't it relationships because, man, these people, they don't get it and there's drama? Or isn't it money? And he says, here's the greatest, th- he says, I want your joy finally, brothers. I want joy for you. But look out. Look out. Because the greatest threat to your joy is this. It's righteousness. It's righteousness. Now, here's what this means. Righteousness is, is this idea where he, he kind of goes back and forth between using the word righteousness and this confidence in the flesh. Righteousness is anything that we look to. Righteousness is anything we look to for our worth, for our value, for our sense of I'm okay, for our sense of I matter, for what we prize ourselves in, what we say, man, this is how I know that I'm somebody. This is what I really, you can think about it this way, this is just what I really think I'm good at or what I really like about myself or what I really uh, value in life. And, and if, if people were to say, man, what, what is it about you that makes you somebody special? Man, this is it. Or this is where I have a sense of self-esteem and worth and val- this. That's righteousness. That's confidence in the flesh. And Paul says that, that we have our righteousness in things, is the greatest threat to our joy. And this could be a lot of different things for different people, okay? So when he's talking about this and he's saying um, that, look, I have reason to be confident in the flesh. I have reason. And he starts to list things. He lists his, the, the good things that he's done and he lists his family background and he lists his country and he lists different things. And he says, I'm really proud of this. And, and this, is where, this is what gave me a sense of value and worth. And it can be a lot of things for different people. Maybe for you, it's your job. Maybe for you, your job is the sense of your worth and your value and your identity. Or maybe it's your beauty. Maybe it's your success in life. Maybe it's your wisdom. You, you are somebody that knows and values uh, learning the right things and understanding things correctly. Or maybe it's the fact um, of what you're good at. Like, man, I really prize being a good friend. Or I prize being a good husband or a good wife or a good parent, a good father, a good mom. Or maybe it is your age even. That there's, man, finally I'm this old and I I have value because of that. Or man, I'm this young, I'm not like those old people. Or your income or your background like Paul lists. Or your morality of how good you are doing at following the law like Paul says was part of his, of, man, I, I do obey God. I do do the right things. Or maybe it's making an impact that, man, if I can make a difference in this world, then I, that's where worth is. That's where value is. If I can be somebody that's special, that's unique, that does something significant, it can be all sorts of different things. But here's how it steals our joy. Here's why Paul says, look, here, look, look out for this. Look out for the people that encourage this in you. Look out for this happening in your life like it happened in my life, Paul says. Look out for this. I want you to have joy, but look out for this because this will steal your joy. Here's why it steals our joy, because it's fickle. If it's based on any of this stuff, it's fickle because of a few things. It's fickle because we have to be recognized for it. If, if that's where our worth and that's where our value is, we have to have, we, other people have to actually see it. It does no good to just, in your closet, go, man, I'm a really good mom. It has to be recognized. And it's based on how good you do, which changes from day to day and week to week and hour to hour. So it's fickle. If your joy is based on how, you know, your job or your success or your wisdom, or it's fickle because it, other people have to recognize it, and it's based on how good you actually do at it. But we all know that we don't do great all the time, so it's fickle. And it's fickle because it's based on a situation. The situation around us, oftentimes it's situational factors. If, if for you, the place that you get your sense of worth is your beauty, that's fickle based on the situation. There's things you can't control. What if, what if an accident happens? What if 
acne happens? What if, I mean, things happen that are outside of your control? You go, well, that's not really what I planned. It's fickle. So it steals our joy. Now, look, let me try to explain a little bit more how you can understand uh, what this might be for you and the effects of this. And to do that, I need a technologically advanced tool, um, this whiteboard here. And uh, I, I hardly ever do this, but today is a special occasion, you know. And so hopefully you can see. I also, just as a preface, I'm the worst uh, drawer and, and handwriting in the world. So bear with me. But here we go. I want, I want you to understand, what, what might this be for me? I list off a bunch of things, but what might this be for you? If this is what could steal your joy, if Paul's right, it's important to know, man, what is this for me? So let me explain how this works and, and how you can know what it is that might steal your joy. So I want you to think about this. This is you, okay? If you, if you don't recognize yourself, that's what we see when we look at you, okay? <laughs> that's you. Uh, and someone was saying that, I don't know if you can see this, but I always, I don't know, I, my pen always like connects here, and so it always looks like there's like a growth on the side of someone's leg, and so I just think they got hips, you know, Shakira would be proud. And so, um, so anyways, um, th- this, these are both you, okay? So this is the you that you want to be. The you that, man, if I'm here, I experience worth, I experience value. This is the you that you go, man, that's, that's the you that you prize yourself in being when you're at your best. If it's being a good friend or it's being a good spouse. or It's like that's you when you're there. And if I can be this, that's, that's where I have feelings of worth and value and self-esteem and, and joy. And that, that's, that's where, okay, that's that you. And then this is you just where you are right now. And here's what, here's what Paul says. What Paul says is that, and, you know, we got a small board here. So it, it, Paul says that righteousness, righteousness will equal our joy. Okay, our righteousness will equal our joy. But what I want you to think about is a ladder here. And those are big rungs, I guess. <laughs> that might be kind of hard. Okay, i got to fill this in. And I guess I should draw someone here for safety also. I don't, want, I don't want anyone looking at this and going home, you know. So, okay. Don't try this at home. Okay, so this is, this is you, the you that you really want to be. Now, here's how you can know. Here's how you can know. What is this for me? If righteousness equals joy... What kind of righteousness? So if there's like a fill in the blank for you, if that's your job or it's being a good mom or it's being a good spouse or it's being a good friend or it's your income or it's your, what is it that produces in you those feelings of worth and value and esteem? And man, this is what I really prize myself in being. Here's how you can know. There's a few different ways. One is this. Picture yourself down here and that's up here. What is it that feels like you're just working to get to? Maybe in your life, even right now, you're stressed, and you're just burdened and heavy. And you might think, well, it's just because my job is hard, or it's just because uh, these relationships around me are hard, and so I'm stressed, and I'm burdened, and I'm fighting, and I'm fighting. And anytime you feel in that place, man, I'm fighting, and I'm burdened, and I'm stressed, and anxious, it's because you are trying so hard to get up this ladder to get to that place, because you know what? You're not just fighting to be a good dad. You're not just fighting to to be successful in your job. You are fighting for your righteousness. You are fighting for your value. You are fighting for your worth. You are fighting for your identity because you're fighting for joy. See, where does it feel like that in life? Where do you feel stressed or burdened or anxious or feel like, man, that is because... There is this up here, whatever that might be. Man, if I, can, if I can have success. But it says, the you up here says, you have, you have to have this. You have to be beautiful. You have to be successful. You have to be liked by people. And if you are, you will have worth and joy. And so you're fighting for it. 
And it feels like you're climbing and it feels like you're clenching and it feels burdensome because, man, you got up one rung and there's another one and another one and another one. And just, and you're, it, because it says not just, hey, do good at your job, not just be a good friend, but in order to have value, in order to have worth, in order to have righteousness and thus joy, you better get up here. That's one way you can know what is this for me? Where do you feel burdened? Where do you feel stressed? But here's another way. Where, when is it that you feel down on yourself because it feels like you were here and dropped down to here? See, when do you feel down on yourself? When, when do you feel like, man, I, I, was, I was good, but man, I, I blew it. And a failure doesn't just feel like a failure. It feels crushing because it feels like your identity, your worth, your value, your righteousness has been attacked. And your joy then is affected. If your righteousness is pushed down because you've fallen down, then your joy is pushed down. So where, where do you feel down on yourself? And you go, man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that can't believe, I mean, so, so look, if you're a Christian, and maybe for you it even is, being a good Christian, morality, following the law, what would Jesus do? It's that. And if I do that right, I'll have joy. And so then you don't. You don't. You do something, you're kind of a jerk to somebody, or you say something, and you go, man, I just feel gross, or I feel like I can't believe I, I acted like that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I spoke like that. I can't believe I, and you feel now down here. Or another way to think about it is, what is it, what is it that you're crushed about that you didn't get? You see, because if this is, if getting here will give you joy because it will give you value. What if something gets in the way? Actually, I'm going to switch colors for a dramatic effect. Um, what, if, uh, what if something gets in the way? See, maybe for you, it's I will know that I've got some worth and some value if I get this position in my job because then I'll be, I will have the success I'm looking for or the respect I'm looking for. They will recognize, yes, I can do this job. They'll see it in me, and that will bring me joy because, man, I really value my work ethic, and if other people can see that and other people can recognize that, and if I can, if I can have that, there will be joy. But what if something gets in the way? Something's keeping you from getting up there situationally. It's not so much that you feel stressed and burdened to get up there or that you feel down on yourself because you came down, but it's that situational factors have gotten in the way. You've prayed for things. Hoping. See, sometimes we even ask God to give this to us. God, would you give this to me? Not just because we want a job, but because we're fighting for our righteousness and our joy and something comes in the way. What are you crushed by that you didn't get? What are you crushed by that you didn't get? Maybe that's a position. Maybe that's someone's respect. Maybe that's some sort of acknowledgement. Maybe it's a raise because then you'll be able to feel successful. Or, um, maybe it's your name on the, the company list of you know, top performers. But what... What are you crushed by that you didn't get? See, why? Why are you crushed? Why, why is it that your joy was affected by it? Why was your joy affected? It's because that was where you felt value, worth, righteousness, confidence. And that something got in the way. Or here's another way to think about it. It's not so much those things. It, it can also be we, uh, you picture somebody else on a ladder. Picture somebody else on a ladder, and part of how you can know where you are is who do you compare yourself to? So who do you compare yourself to? That's part of how you know where you base your value and your worth and your righteousness. Who do you compare yourself to? See, I do not compare myself to NBA players, just in case you're wondering. I don't do that. I, I would feel down on myself a lot if I did that. Um, but you know who I do 
compare myself to? You know who I get tempted in comparing myself to? Other pastors. And if this, if being a pastor is where I get my worth and my value and thus my joy, part of how you can know that is who do you compare yourself to? Who, whose ladder are you looking at? And you go, well, I'm kind of here and they're kind of there. Who do you compare yourself to? You can think about other people and their ladder as part of how you can know. Or who do you not compare yourself to, but who do you look down on? See, if for you, if for you, your, your background is a sense of righteousness and worth and value to you, then you may look down on people from a different background. Because if this is righteousness, you have to look down on people that don't share that same ladder. See, if, if being an open-minded person is part of how you really value, like you go, man, one of the things awesome about me is I'm really open-minded. Then people that are closed-minded, you look down on them because they're not, they're not righteous. If it's your political party or it's your flexibility or your organization or your income level, if that for you, if hard work for you, if being a hard worker is how you go, look, I'm a hard worker. That's part of, that's part of what's awesome about me. You will always look down on people that you feel are lazy. Because it's not just a difference between work ethic and not work ethic. It's this is my righteousness. This is my identity. So I have to look down on people that are not righteous. So who do you compare yourself to or who you look down on or what do you expect from other people? See, sometimes it's what we expect from other people. Because if this is where we base our value and our worth and our identity and being you know, a, a, a great friend, then, then we also expect other people to match our sense of righteousness. Or maybe it's not those things, but it, it might be from other people where you need recognition. See, if this is your sense of righteousness, whatever it is here, then you have to have other people see that. It does no good to just be righteous without other people to recognize it. You need people to say, you're a hard worker, you're a good mom, you're a good dad, you're a good spouse. Man, you're so loving, man, you're so kind. You need recognition for that. And you get really defensive when it feels like somebody is attacking that. Because if somebody were to come up to me and say, hey, Caleb, that sermon, you used a whiteboard. That's kind of from the 90s. You're a little lame. Now, if someone were to say that, I would first of all say, hey, I predicted that. And then second of all, I would say, <laughs> that would be kind of cool, right? And so then, uh, but then the second thing I would, the, but, but look, if they do that, here's, if my righteousness is not in being a good pastor or being a good preacher, if my righteousness, my value, if it's not in that, then I might go, hey, thanks for the feedback. But if my righteousness, if my worth, if my value, if my identity is based in that, then any sort of criticism or correction is going to feel like you have pushed me down from my value. You see, what do you get defensive about? What do you say, no, stop pushing me down. No, you're wrong. No, you don't see it right. No, you don't get it. No, you don't. What do you feel like that about? That's your source of value and righteousness. Paul says, I want joy for you. Paul says, look, you lack joy. You lack joy or joy is unstable. Look here. Where is, where is it that you're basing your righteousness? What is it that you're confident in? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, and then goes on to have this whole section saying, look out. Look out for people that are going to encourage righteousness and stuff up here. Paul says, I used to do that too. But it's not the path to joy, and I want joy for you. So, what will give us joy? What will give us joy? What, what will give us joy? Now, here's the problem. Part of how we try to deal with this, because we all experience this, right? We experience being down on ourselves, or we experience defensiveness. Or we all experience that. But here's the problem is the way that we try to get joy then is actually the same problem. What we seek to do is to have confidence in the flesh to fight against this. But it's the exact same thing, and so we end up in a cycle. Because what happens is we, we, we are seeking our value in whatever it might be. Let's say beauty or wisdom or our job or success or 
uh, being a loving person or whatever it might be. We, we seek our value and our righteousness in these things. And, and then we, we feel down or we're working really hard or we're anxious that we're not going to be able to work up there or, or we look at other people and, and, and we go, man, I don't have joy. What will give me joy? And here's, here's what we try to do. We try to reassert our confidence in the flesh. We say, no, I actually am beautiful. I am wise. I am doing a good job. I will be successful. I am a loving person. They just don't understand me. It doesn't matter if anybody thinks I'm a loving person. I am loving. It doesn't matter. If... And we reassert. We feel the loss of these things. And to get joy, we fight back with those things. I will have, so Paul could have said, no, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am zealous. I am, if someone said, Paul, you're not very passionate about, about the law. I'm a persecutor of the church. I am passionate. I am zealous. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am beautiful. I am smart. I am doing a good job. I can do it. I will do it. I believe I can do it. I have the ability. I have confidence. This is why self-confidence self-esteem, self-worth, self, all of it says you are, you can. But here's the problem. It just keeps you in the same cycle because you might feel like you're down here. So to get back joy, you, you tell yourself and reassert these things and then you feel here, but it's fickle. So then you don't do good or somebody else knocks you down. And so then you retell yourself, nope, it's okay, I do, I will be successful, I can do it, I am loving, I am beautiful. So you come, but it's all confidence in the flesh, a righteousness of our own. Paul says, look out for people that encourage this. He calls them dogs. Look out for people that will encourage this in you. So we fall down and we say, man so hard to be down here. I can't forgive myself because we're stuck in our own righteousness. Or we fail, we come down a few notches and we tell ourselves, you know what? I just need to have more grace for myself. This self needs to have grace for this self. This self needs to forgive this self. And we're stuck in a cycle of self-confidence, of righteousness for our own. And Paul says, this is what will steal your joy. And the very thing that steals our joy is what we actually try to use to give us our joy. And he says, you need something better than that. Here's how you get joy. He says, to me, he says, that's what I used to do, but I found it was crap. I needed a better joy than that. And he says he traded it in. He traded it in for something else, for he says, a righteousness not our own. A righteousness not our own. A righteousness not from ourselves and what we do and what we accomplish and what we tell ourselves. A righteousness, he says, here's what you need. A righteousness that is not your own, because if it's your own, it will always be unstable. He says, you need a righteousness that's not your own, and, and here's what he says. He says, this is the gospel, the good news. That instead of a righteousness in, of, in his own self, he traded it in for the gospel, the good news, that he is united to Jesus. He says, he says, I used to do this, but now I have found myself in Jesus. I found myself attached to him, which means this. Instead of us being up here, it's Jesus up here. It's Jesus up here, but we are attached to him. We're Here's what the Bible says. It says, look, you don't need a righteousness of your own. You need the righteousness that's God's, that's given to you because of Jesus. You see, Jesus was the perfect person that did fulfill all that God requires. He was the most loving person, the most successful person according to God's standards, the most wise person, the most joyful, patient, loving, kind. All, all that we long to be, Jesus was. And Paul says, look, you can try to have a righteousness that's your own, but it will always be fickle because situations might block it and other people might feel like you're getting pushed down or, or you might just be burdened or you might fail. But you need a righteousness, a confidence that's not your own. You don't need self-confidence. You need confidence in him. You don't need self-righteousness. You need righteousness in him. Because what that does is this. His isn't changing. It's not fickle. Jesus' righteousness never changes. 
And if you can find your identity in him, if you can say, my, his record is my record. What he's done is given to me. I might not be righteous, but he is. That changes everything because you have it stable. And if the righteousness is stable, the joy is stable. Look, there's a concept in social psychology called basking in reflective glory. Some of you, if you've ever taken like a one-on-one class, you've heard this term. Or they call it burging, but it's basking in reflective glory. And here's what it means. Somebody else's glory and their record and their successes, we get joy when we identify ourselves with that. So the easiest example is sports, right? Nobody has uh, ever, I don't think, in here, maybe, come talk to me, but nobody has ever won uh, a Broncos game in here. But you say when they win, we won! And you get excited and you cheer, we won! You sat, they won, but you, I mean, (laughs) but you cheer, right? You should shout, we sat, we watched, we ate chips, you know, but you say, we won! (laughs) And you bask in their glory because... If you feel attached to somebody's record, you can feel joy of, I'm, I'm a part of that. Or sometimes we just take pride that someone went to our high school or went to our home state, and usually it's like a really random person that no one's ever heard of. Like, hey, you know that guy that's the third character on The Office that was in one episode? He went to my high school. And you're like, oh, cool, you know. But we bask in the reflective glory that they have, that they give to us. Now, here's the problem with all that. It's fine and it's good, but it's an illusion. We don't actually get that glory. It's not actually ours. But the gospel says, the gospel says that we can bask in his reflective glory. We can bask in what he's done and say, that belongs to me. Because that's what God says he gives to us. It's called gift righteousness. That Jesus says, look, my worth is your worth. My value is your value now. My righteousness I give to you as a gift, and it's your righteousness. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't look at us down here. God looks at us up here, not because of us, but because we're attached to Jesus. We don't have a righteousness of our own, but we have his righteousness. And God says, I look at Jesus and all his worth and all his beauty and all his value and everything good about him. And I see you that way. Not because of us, but because of him. That's faith. That's faith. It's based on him. This changes everything. It changes that we can rest because you might still want to do a good job, but you're not fighting for your righteousness. You already have it. It changes when you fail and mess up because you no longer have lost your righteousness. You just messed up, which would change this, by the way. Look, it's nowhere in the Bible ever to say, forgive yourself and have grace for yourself. If you use that language, you know what it means? It means you believe that you are the one that gives your righteousness. You know what the Bible says? You don't need to have grace for yourself. You need to receive the grace from Jesus, which is so much better and so much more freely given. See, the whole problem is we're stuck in a cycle of our self, self-confidence, confidence in the flesh, confidence in our own righteousness. But look, if I ever have, try to have grace for myself or forgive myself, it doesn't work because I'm just, I'm talking to myself. Hey, self, could you have grace for other self? Hey, self, could you uh, forgive this self? I mean, you're psychotic, right? (laughs) I mean, kind of. But if I go to Jesus and I say, could you have grace for me? I know he does because he says he does. And I'm actually talking to a person that's giving it to me. And if I say, Jesus, would you forgive me? And he says, yes, I do, because your value and your worth and your identity isn't based on what you do. It's based on what I've done. So grace is free, and forgiveness is free, and righteousness is free when we identify with him. It changes everything. It changes people's criticism of us and our defensiveness and our need for approval from other people because we don't need them to tell us that we are righteous. We get that from Jesus. And if people correct us or criticize us, our worth isn't being pushed down anymore. We're not, our our worth isn't being attacked. They're just telling us, hey, maybe you came down a couple rungs in your abilities. And we go, okay, yeah, maybe I did. And praise God, that's not what defines me. Changes it all. So are you stressed? Are you down? Are you hurt by other people? And their attacks on your worth and your righteousness. 
our hearts need joy in him. That's why Paul says, rejoice in him, not in yourself. Rejoice in him. And then he goes on and tells us this whole, rejoice in him. If your joy is found in his righteousness, that is stable. That can't be taken away. It's unshakable. Our hearts need him, not ourselves. And finally, brothers, um, how do we get this joy? And I will go quick on this. How do we get this? Because it can kind of sound abstract. Hey, rejoice in him. What you need is to rejoice in him. And you go, okay, maybe I do, but how do I actually do that? And we can feel stuck even going, okay, I know I'm supposed to find my joy in him and not in myself, but how do I do that? We don't have to be stuck. And, and, and let me just say this. Look, if you lack joy right now, or you feel burdened, or you feel anxious, or you feel stressed, or you feel, or you feel down, or you feel hurt, or you feel all those things, don't just say, well, it's just a season. Or, you know, I'll come out of it. Or it's just come, just going through some hard stuff right now. All of that still keeps it to the externals. What you're saying is, man, it's just some stuff's just blocking it right now. Or, you know, I've just come down a little bit right now. Or, hey, I'm working to get there right now. That's what you're saying. But don't just, don't be okay with being where you are. Here's what Paul says. Here's how he says we get it. Here's the next part. He says we have to fight for it. Here's the very next verse. He says, not that I've already obtained this. So he says, look, I want this. I want to find my righteousness in Christ and my joy, therefore, in him. And he goes, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press. Listen to the language he uses about not being passive and saying, man, I don't have joy right now. It's just kind of hard right now. Listen to the active language he uses. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, and if any, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See, how do we get it? Paul says, look, it starts with this. You've got to fight for it. If you feel like you don't have joy, if you feel stressed and burdened and your righteousness is in these things and you go, yeah, that's me. Don't just say it's just kind of a hard season or I'll get through it or yeah, I recognize that or yeah, I'm aware of that. He says, look, if that is going to change, you have to Press on. You have to strain forward. You have to move. You have to be active in fighting to find your righteousness in Christ. Paul says it depends on faith, but faith is a fight. We don't drift towards believing this. You know that. I've got to fight. It doesn't just happen. Are you fighting for your joy? And then he gives us a couple other things in there. He says, you know, in the earlier passage, he said, we have to repent of our righteousness, not just the bad things we do, but the good things. We have to repent of finding, look, here, here's your path forward. How do you get this joy? First, you've got to commit to fighting. Second is you have to repent of your righteousness. Identify, just like Paul did. Paul had a list. Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, persecutor of the church. He had a list. Where is it that you find your righteousness? You need to bring that to God and say, God, I have been basing my value, my worth, my confidence in these things and trade them in. Paul says he was willing to lose that to gain something else. Sometimes we don't actually want to repent of these because we still want that to be our righteousness. Paul says he was willing to lose it to gain something better, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, which also means we have to engage with him to actually know him. Where do we see his righteousness? Where do we see that these truths are true? It's in the Bible. And look, I just have to tell you this. Your soul, listen to me, your soul will shrivel and you will not have joy if you are not regularly opening up the Bible and saying, Jesus, show me this. You know what you'll do? You'll say, I need something new. I need a new book. I need a new podcast. I need a new teacher. I need a new, you'll, and Paul says, no, you need 
You need to hear the same things. You need to fight to open up the Bible and actually see him and what he says about you. And then Paul says one last thing. He says, imitate. He says, keep your eyes on those that are walking in this way. He says, keep your eyes on me, follow my example. And then he says, and the other people that are doing this. See, we need one another. We need community. We can't do it by ourselves. And Paul says, you need to look at other people that are fighting in this way and that are doing this. You need other people in your life. You have to keep your eyes on them and be around them. And, and I love that Paul says, hey, follow my example. But he says, it's, I'm also not even just enough. And I would say the same thing. Not that I'm Paul, but I would say, hey, you can't just go, oh, that's really cool that Caleb is doing that and knows that. And wow, that's awesome. You need other people, Paul says. He says, you need a community of people around you that you are keeping your eyes on and, and looking and seeing and helping you actually fight for righteousness. If we do this, what happens is we have a stable joy because we have a stable identity, a stable righteousness. And we can face whatever comes at us. We can face whatever comes at us and our joy won't shake. It doesn't mean you don't cry. I'm not saying that there's no tears or you're just some sort of like statue that nothing affects but there's a stable joy because your identity isn't messed with, your worth isn't messed with. This is what Paul wants for us. He says he wants us to fully experience what we've already attained, to hold on to what we've already been given. I love that imagery. He doesn't say this is something new. He says this is what you've already been given. Through the gospel, you've been given this, but you have to hold on to it to fully hold on to what you've already attained. In marriage, you know, ceremonies, we say to have and to hold. It's not just, I have a wife, but I'm holding her. This is what Paul says about salvation, about our righteousness in Christ. This is what Paul wants for us. This is how we get joy. This is what I am so badly want for you, for our church, is joy. A stable joy that's unshakable. So here's what it means. If you lack joy, fight this week. He's far better. His value is far better than ours. His righteousness is far better than ours. We can have confidence in him instead of ourselves. And when we take communion, that's what we remember. We remember that he, on the cross, took away all of our sins and shed his blood to forgive us. But he didn't just forgive us. He actually gave us his righteousness. This is what Jesus did on the cross. It's called the great exchange. All of our sin, gone and all of his righteousness given to us so that we can have an unshakable joy. So as we take communion and we pray, think on those things. As we sing the words to the songs, reflect on that. Let that truth marinate in our hearts. Pray with me. Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you that you give to us a righteousness that is not of our own, as Paul says, but one that comes from you by faith, we don't have to work for it. You give it to us freely. I thank you for that, God. I pray that even now as we take communion and sing, that this would be part of the fight. That you would help us to experience the joy and the identity and the value that you have for us. In your name, Jesus, we pray these things.